0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca, we look at whether first-class records are great predictors for batting success in the test game. So I got on someone who had just written about that recently.
1: I'm Jack Hope, and I'm one-third of the cricket
0: podcast. We look at stats, scouts, conditions, preparation, why players average more in tests than first class sometimes, and also the whole Vaughan-Truscothic anomaly. I wanted to get you on, mate, so we could talk about first class batting and test batting, because it's certainly been, I think, with the rise in analytics and the way that we look at cricket now, beforehand it was like, well, he's averaging 45 in first class cricket, so we better pick him for the test team. Whereas now we've gone to a whole nother level and you wrote a blog post on your, what's your Substack? um, what's it called? Oh, I think it's the cricket pod or something like that. I said that cause I didn't want to <laughs> get it wrong and you couldn't even remember it, but you wrote a piece about first class batting, um, and how it tra- and, uh, transfers to the test level. It's something that I've written about at times before. Um, there's been some other really good writers who have done it as well, but let's just start with, if you're good at first class batting, there is at least a very high percentage chance that you will be good at test match batting. There's nothing in anyone's numbers that sort of say that's not the case.
1: Yes and no. Um, I think I think you're more likely. More likely. Test match batting is is is, is the way uh, you know I, I would put it. I, I think um, there's a decent chance you won't be good at, at test match batting. But uh, if you're not good at first class cricket, there is a very very low chance that you will be. Good at um test match batting
0: that's much better put than what i that what i meant but yeah i think i think it's still one of the best bits of information that we have um and i think most of the players who fail at test level probably have failed through other situations if if they are uh, top level players anyway back in the old days you know you'd have a first class average of 50 but you could was it hick that was dropped at the end of his first series um and so confidence then becomes an issue but it's, it's really interesting so when i checked um around 30% of batters average more at the test level than they do at first-class level, which sounds like a huge stat. But facilities being picked in your prime and often being dropped at the first sign of weakness all play a real big part in that. Um, So there's no doubt that you have to make runs at first-class level. Did you have a look at any players who sort of haven't played cricket? uh, uh, Sorry, who haven't made runs at first-class level who've been thrown into test cricket?
1: I mean, there are a few, you know, knocking around. Um, I guess... It's to ask a question back to your question, what what is the threshold at which you haven't scored runs at first-class cricket or in first-class cricket? Because I, I think within the current England team, um, you could probably make the argument that Zach Crawley is not necessarily mm. um, produced at a first-class level to, to the extent that you would say he is good at first-class cricket. I mean, he is, he is passable um, at first-class cricket, you'd say. He has shown he has potential in first-class cricket, but he is in um, the test team. Uh, as well in the, in the test squad as we speak. So the answer is, is sort of, um, they're, they're, I mean, there aren't, you know, uh, uh, there isn't a, a vast number of players that have poor track records in, in, in first class cricket that have, have had extended spells in, uh, in, in test teams. Right.
0: Yeah. No, no, there aren't. I mean, I remember when I looked at it, it, I can't, I think I've got these numbers, right. There is almost no players who average 10% more at first class cricket than they do at, um, sorry, there are a- almost no players who average 10% more at test cricket than they do of their first class numbers, other than a few outliers, like, you know, Adam Vogue just comes in and um, and occasionally you will get a player like that who has a short career. But over a long period of time, you're much more likely to obviously average around 30% less in test cricket than you do in first-class cricket. And there's a lot of players sort of bungled into the middle. And there's a lot of guys out there, as I said before, that average a few runs extra. You know, um, and we'll come to Michael Vaughan and Truskothic later on um, because we have to talk about them because uh, (laughs) otherwise uh, every single comment on this podcast will be about them. But as a general rule, if you play a long test career, Chances are that you you will average around your first class numbers, but probably just slightly lower, and that makes sense, doesn't it? It is harder.
1: Uh yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, I, I think it might be worth me explaining why I was interested in writing this about this in the first place. So, you know, through the cricket podcast, we cover uh, cricket and we talk about what happened in the cricket, what might happen in the cricket, uh, why it happened, and, and why it might happen, uh, and and why something might happen in the future. So. You know, coming at it from that angle, uh, or, or looking at, looking at the game from the, from that perspective, yeah. I and I think the other guys on the podcast have a suspicion that England's selection process for Test cricket uh, has some flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tested that, and, and and what I did was I I mapped um, the England Test batters' performance in first-class cricket versus their performance in in Test matches, um, and what we find from that. Uh, fundamentally, is that there is a, a link, but I, I think I think the thing to 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 bear in mind, you know, more broadly here is that is that that link is not um, perfect. It's actually quite a weak link. Um, if someone averages fifty in first class in first class cricket, there, there there's not, you know, I, I think you're you're more likely than not to average significantly fewer, um, mm. significantly fewer, possibly you know twenty thirty runs fewer in some cases. I mean, if if you look at uh, well, players in the in, in the current England team, Beasts one of them. Pope's one of them. We've talked about Hick already. Um, you you are Rob Key, I think, was another uh, that had a, a huge a huge drop off. So I I think when we're talking about this, when we're talking about first class performance and and how that maps to Test matches, I, I I think we should look at it more from the perspective of first class performance being an indicator of what a player's likely ceiling will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, very very few players score more runs. Uh, in in test matches or or, or or average higher in test matches. So yes, I, I I think you want to approach this from the point of view of um, establishing what I, I, I play a a player ceiling might be. Um, I I'd probably go as far as saying, um, and I, I think when I published this piece, Nathan Lehman um, commented on, on 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 or tweeted back or replied. Um, Along the lines of saying that he didn't think it was a particularly useful indicator, batting average in, in first-class cricket, and I, I think the more I thought about this, um, the more I have come to sympathise with that point of view. Although I, 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 I do think, uh, as I said, first-class average can provide a useful indicator in terms of ceiling.
0: Uh, does that make sense? Does that, does that sort of, you know, set the scope of what I, what I was looking into? It does. I think that what I have seen is we've never seen a player become a good replacement level test match batter without the ability to make runs in red ball cricket consistently before that that mark so that would be my point with james vince that would be my point with zach crawley being that you're, you're looking at this from england you can look at this from an absolute ton of west indian batting talents over the last 20 years they come in with low first class batting averages clearly with a lot of talent right but the if you've no, if you don't know and oh, you could put Owen Morgan in this, there's a lot of different players out there in this sort of basket. If you do not know how to make runs consistently against the red ball, to think that they're going to be able to do it at the higher level is I think almost setting players up to fail. And what your research says, I, I think when you're talking about the ceiling there it's a it's a very, very interesting thing because I think a lot of those players are probably coming in with incredibly low ceilings because of this and maybe that's what hasn't been looked at. We look at you know, and, and Nathan Lehman is right. There are many other interesting things to look at. I mean, Andrew, uh, I must said Andrew Hilditch. I mean, James Hildreth, don't I? James Hildreth, the, um, the Somerset batter, you know, up until about a week ago, every time there was a, w- a spot in the England middle order, he you know, a Somerset fan would pop up on a comment telling you he should be in the side. Now, his batting average was quite good. What was it, mid-40s? You know, certainly higher than a lot of the England players. But when you actually start to delve into his batting average, it was very home versus away. Uh, he was, and if all tests were played at Taunton, I would definitely think about you know picking him in my side. And and I think that's also where I think Nathan Lehman he, he talked about the Simpson paradox um, with your in in your particular work, if I saw that correctly. And I think yeah. that's where Nathan Lehman is uh, is right. There's a lot more than just batting average that anyone would ever have to worry about. It's just kind of a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, that, that's very well put. Um, it's, it's, yeah,
1: starting point is, is, is definitely, it, it's definitely, you know, the first screener that I think you'd want to apply if you were looking at, um, who should be in your test team. But then beyond that, um, you sort of touch on it there. There's so much we don't know and we don't look at at the moment. And I, I think that's, um, that's what we, 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 we sort of, um, need to be considering um you know like we're having a conversation here about how how do we predict the future yeah based on based on an imperfect yeah um sample of data that we have uh, about the past um it's 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 very very difficult but yeah you know like read the blog post um you can see quite clearly the first class batting averages give you give you a, give, give you a pretty strong indication of, of where a likely ceiling will be for a player um, this, this, by the way, is it's, it's replicated. Um, so I, I had a look. Interesting you talk about the West Indies. I, I looked at the big three. So beyond this, the 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 article itself it just focuses on England um, uh, because that was the story I wanted mm. to tell. Uh, but after Nathan Lehman raised this this point, I did have a look um, at uh, the 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 same things in India and Australia. Um, India very similar um, story to. Uh, England in terms of players not getting better when they when they break into Test cricket. Um, you know m- most of them 10, fifteen runs worse, some of them quite a lot worse than than that. Uh, Australia is slightly different uh, and and I think this would probably reflect what a lot of people assume about um, first class cricket in Australia. Um, in Australia, there is a, a bit more of a close link between uh, a batter's performance in first-class cricket and their their, their likely performance in, in Test cricket, and we we actually see more Australian batters um, perform better and sometimes significantly better in Test cricket than they do in in, in the Shield. Now, I I speculate, and I think you probably agree that that is because
0: Shield cricket is a higher standard than the the Ranji or or, or county championship cricket. It's also probably age dependent, would be my other guess there. I think a lot of those numbers might be, you know, t- you know, uh, Adam Voges and Brad mm-hmm. Hodge and David, uh, David Hussey, wrong Hussey, Mike Hussey, uh, Chris Rogers. Do you know what I mean? If those guys are coming in later, um, and Australia probably over the last, what, 20, 25 years has done that a lot. Even if you look back to the 90s, you know, Langer and Hayden and all those guys came in early and Martin and then they went. They went and got very good, and then they came back when they perfected their techniques. Other teams maybe haven't done that as much. Um, you know, with India, there's a. It's almost, if you're not 22 and the best batting prospect in the country, chances are you will be overlooked. Um, you know, did a, you can have a look at the, the Hari or um, Abhinav Mukund. There's plenty of guys with ridiculous records that just haven't gone on. I, and, you know, and England is something else completely different. And, and that's what I want to get back to because this is about English cricket, we can focus on that, but Australia probably is a very good um, uh, version of this too. If you're good at first-class cricket in England, that means you're good at a particular kind of first-class cricket. You know, that does not mean that you're already set up for test matches. So the best, best way of putting this is, I did the numbers um, earlier this year, uh, Syderabad Taunton has the, um, is the 50 most spinniest wicket in the world. And by that, I mean the most amount of spin bowled. 50th, and it's by far and away the most in the UK. But it's not even close. I think Old Trafford um, is the second has the second most spin bowl at it. And it's not probably not in the top 80, right? So you can be an absolute gun first-class cricketer in England and not be set up to actually succeed outside of England. And that is the case in most first-class setups because of the the way that pitches are.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where it would be really interesting to, to take the take take the sort of next step and have a look at some of the the smaller factors or the smaller numbers behind the big number the batting average number um that that make that up and and if you like um map which of those are better indicators that somebody will maintain their average going into test cricket so you know we know there's a high likelihood of Failure. Uh, we know that someone who looks quite good in first-class cricket is is probably not going to be good in in Test cricket. I think you can basically say that. It's it's, it's harsh, but that that is the that's the sort of reality. Um, but within those numbers, there there should be, or I, I would speculate quite strongly here, that there there will be indicators that give you a better idea. Um, and help you to forecast better when you look at players making that step. Now, for English players, it might be their ability against spin. Um, that could be that could be that could be maybe the first place you look. So you you, you screen who has the best batting average in first class cricket. Uh, then you look a level below. What type of bowlers are they scoring their runs against? Mm. If it's if it's right arm medium pace, um, you know they're scoring they're averaging eighty against right arm medium pace and twenty against anyone who bowls spin. Well, they're probably not going to succeed. Um, particularly away from home in, in international cricket.
0: Well, it's also the Olly Pope one. I remember uh, Gareth Batty and Mark Butcher were furious at me. We were in South Africa and Talk Sports said, try and work out the weakness of Ollie Pope. And I went through the numbers and he didn't have a lower batting average against spin, right? So I was like, okay, that's not a weakness. And then I just happened to flick at my eye and I went, what's his strike rate against spin in, in first-class cricket? And I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was low. It was very low considering the kind of bowlers he was facing in first-class cricket in England, and how little he faced it. And I was like, "Oh, that's going to be a problem." They haven't no, no one's got him out yet, but he's not going to be able to score against international spinners, um, especially when he gets to Asia. Now, uh, you know, fast forward now, and I look like a genius. But <laughs> you know, it, that it, those are the sorts of things that you need to look beyond his average. With, with the Ollie Pope's remarkable, isn't it? Because we know that if a pitch is anywhere like the Oval and has any sort of pace or carry in it, uh, he's Very hard to get out, but in any other situation, um, it seems like he may not, you know, and he should develop because you can't be, I don't think he can be that good as, there aren't that many single usage batters, do you know what I mean? Most players have the ability to develop that further, but that's what we're really talking about here, isn't it? it? You start with the first class average, as you said, then you have a look at the average versus spin, then you might have a look at the average by types of bowling. If you yep. if you're very good at if you're very good at facing eighty mile an hour right arm seam, that's great. But that's not really what test match cricket is anymore. Um, you know, unless you come across Muhammad Abbas or um, you know, there's a couple <laughs> of them. But you know, there aren't that many guys out there like that. So you really are looking for those other key indicators, which can be quite tough. I mean, Shreyas Iyer, off the top of my head, has played three first class games outside of Asia. Um, it, 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 it's not it's not too many more than that anyway. Shreya Sire, really, by this stage in his career, should have just been sent everywhere. He should have played a year of county cricket, and he should have played club cricket in Australia, whatever he has to have done to be able to develop. But that's not how current Indian cricket is set up. So even if you have a talent as great as him, and we've just seen how brilliant he was in Kampur, he's not being set up to succeed. He's going to have to go through the same problems that everyone else has had to go through, and that might mean that he might have average, you know, his average might drop. Uh, because he might fail in a bunch of overseas tests, and then he's left out of the team, even if he's the most talented player. Like we're not, we're not completely setting these guys up to be prepared for what they need to be prepared for. I think is the way I'm putting it.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true, and and, and I, I think part of that is we just don't address those those underlying points. Um, you know, you're you're talking about Ollie Pope and noticing that his strike rate was lower against spin. Um, I, I wonder whether anybody had seriously looked into that until, until, until you you mentioned that. Trey Azai, it's obvious, you know, he has the talent to be a, a fantastic um, test-level player. Um, but to some extent, he's going into test match cricket now, hamstrung by the fact that he doesn't, he w- will not be a well-rounded global cricketer, mm. uh, if you like. Um, and, and this probably explains to some extent why we see these huge drop-offs um, in, in, in performance. Because the game is so so much different um, between first-class cricket, wherever you are in the world, and what you have to do in Test cricket, which which involves playing, you know, in at least three quite distinct um, playing conditions, or, or or at least three different types of pitch. Um, probably way more but if you wanted to really generalize maybe you could say Asian conditions English conditions and, and sort of Australian South African conditions yeah uh, don't quite know where the West Indies falls into that.
0: that 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 theory of cricket well West Indies I always thought that that was maybe one reason West Indies produced very round batters back in the day that hasn't that hasn't stayed with us but because they have a, a, a variety of different pitches I always thought that was a natural advantage to them doesn't seem to be anymore but but back in the day but if you, I, I did a video on um, Ashwin recently and him against left-handers and Ed Cowan came up and I might eventually do Ed Cowan's career is quite interesting because I don't think Ed Cowan was ever going to average much more than 40 in test cricket that I think that is probably about his ceiling in test cricket if everything went his way. But he ran into R. Ashwin, who happens to be the greatest uh, bowler to left-handers of all time. And he bow- I think he faced, I'll have to remember the stats from my video, but he, 13% of his career deliveries of Test cricket were to the guy who's the best at dismissing left-handers, right? And he dismissed him a lot. That's unfortunate matchup there, right? The other thing that happened with Ed Cowan's career is he also went to, um, went to the West Indies. And I can't remember if it was when they first started using the Dukes balls or if it was just a particular series where no one made any runs. And you realize how often people fail in test cricket and end up with those lower averages than what you would expect them to have is a bad matchup early on and maybe a, a series or a conditions that don't suit the way that they play or doesn't suit the way that anyone plays. It's so removed from first-class cricket. So the other thing, in fact, it was Ed Cowan who told me this once. He said that it wasn't until he got to test cricket he realized what it was like to have a real matchup. Like he faced Sahir Khan in the third innings so he faced him twice, I think, in Melbourne. And then he went to Sydney and faced him. And he, he saw in Zahir Khan's eyes that Sahir Khan had worked him out. And he suddenly went, <laughs> Oh God, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen when you play counter cricket. This doesn't happen when you play shield cricket. You only play these guys twice a year. They don't have a chance to even if they've worked yeah. you out in the first game, it's four months. It might be four months before they bowl to you again, right? Or or you know, th- they don't have time to prepare and think about it. The actual games are so set, set up so differently. So Pitchers usually fa- favour bowlers more in first-class cricket because they're four-day pitches and they kind of have to. The facilities are terrible. The training facilities are worse. The f- third, fourth, and fifth bowlers, whether it be, f- you know, second, third change or whether it just be the third, fourth, and fifth most talented bowlers on any team, are complete drop-offs compared to what you face at Test Cricket. Um, who um, I'm trying to think, was it Sean Massoud was on my podcast and he was talking about when you're... Pl- no, it was Abhinav Mukund was talking about when you're in Test Cricket... When you're in first-class cricket, you basically, you overcome the best bowlers, right? And you tire them out and you get past them and you get set. And then they bring on the replacements and you're like, great, this is a time to, to cash in. And when you play test cricket, oh, I have to do the same thing to the next level of bowler. And then the next level of bowler, it never goes away. It is just a fundamentally different thing than it would be almost impossible for any first-class system to really replicate what test cricket is. Yeah. And moving beyond data, this is where there needs to be a role
1: for people who <laughs> are specialist cricket watchers, if you like, um, scouts to try and, and, and figure out which players do have the transferable skills. Um, because you know, we, we can, I mean, you know, for example, we could overcome some of these things. We could look at which players in County cricket perform well against international quality bowlers. There are quite a few international quality bowlers knocking around the County circuit. Um, it would be possible to, you know, look at the ball by ball data for the overs they bowl and and see which batters perform well. Uh, you know, you marry that up with people who have good averages overall, and you've probably got an international level player there. Mm. Um, but there are other skills that that are, I suppose, slightly less tangible. And I think if we go, if we if we use, let's go back to Pope and and playing at spin. I think there are quite a lot of batters in England who who play spin based on the line rather than the length. Now I think in 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 test cricket the best players are spin um they play way back or they play way forward. Um that's you know this is you can you can look at the Hawkeye data for this you can read Ben Jones book uh, and, and and this is explained. If you watch somebody like Pope play spin, he he effectively he plays down the line of the ball because he, you know when he plays spin in in, in first class mm. cricket when he's played spin when he was a kid, he was probably playing somebody who's in the team really to balance things out. Bat number 8 average 25, 30, get through a few overs when the ball's 50, 50 overs old, um, hopefully at under three and over. Not really an attacking suit. There's a big difference between that and Ashwin. Uh, yeah. There's a big difference before,
0: between... And that's before you factor in the pitches as well. The pitch is probably not yeah. set up for that guy because he's a part-timer and they don't care. So, you know, within the, the raw numbers, you might
1: see that, that Pope doesn't score quickly but doesn't get out to spin in England. Now, somebody who's watched a bit more cricket, or someone who is a scout, might be able to pick up on 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 the weakness in in, in, in someone's game in someone's game that won't transport transfer through to uh, test cricket and I think I talked about this in 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 the article but I used baseball um, as the as the example and uh, and the Oakland days the Oakland days B- B- Billy Bean's Moneyball the book Moneyball the reason they won is because three pitchers who aren't really mentioned in the book um, were amazing um, Barry Zito Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson uh they they contributed about 80 percent of their 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 wins above average accumulation over over that season um it's not a particularly sexy story the that that part of the of the, of the money story what happened is a is, is a scout a fat i think he's called fat scout in the book uh jo, joe poloni he went and he saw these guys and said that, you know they've got uh, a major league level splitter. So if we get if we get them and and uh, you know work on their control for a couple of years, uh, we'll have a, a top level pitcher. Not mentioned in the book because it doesn't fit that particular narrative. Uh, but that that's that's effectively why Moneyball was successful in its first iteration. Billy Bean from there. Uh, so i had to catch a fly um uh, just just but go you're clapping it. yourself man. Uh, no, it's, uh, billy being from there obviously um yeah you know, has been at the, at the forefront of data in sport and has really driven that and and is is you know it's rightly regarded as um as uh, well a, a, a genius on that front but to boil all of that down into into one point there has to be room in the in the proverbial room for the fat scout who can say that is test quality or that is major league quality um and that isn't um, because we can't, the data as it exists at the moment, I know Amal Desai, he was talking about this on your, on your podcast, I was listening back to that, data as it ex- exists at the moment in cricket especially is not complete enough for mm. us to to be able to do things like predict who will be good in test cricket versus uh, or from just their performance at a lower level.
0: Well, it's funny that you, you talked about Sheffield Shield compared to the other two um, systems before. Essentially, Sheffield Shield is probably one of the few systems that is set up partly by accident, let's be honest, to actually be good at setting up people for Test Cricket. That's not necessarily what the Ranji Trophy was set up for. It's certainly the county game was set up before Test Cricket, right? It was not set up at all to help Test players. In fact, it's still not <laughs> set up. to that No, it's not. England yeah. England got better by pulling their players out of county cricket. That was part of the thing, making them professional, you know. Um, and so so it makes sense. And if you look at it realistically at cricket, None none of it is set up to make the players the best that they can be, right? The the entire system all the way up to test level is not made up to do that. It's a hodgepodge system that no one would come up with anymore. So, of course, it's flawed. I want to talk about the scouts. I think that here's my thing with scouts. Um, You know, England cricket is coming up with scouts. I I know uh, Mike Hendrick was a a scout for um, England with their fast bowlers, and they've used wiki-keeping scouts and spin bowling scouts, all these guys out there. To, to go and have a look at it. They did that after they got the data because they realized that they needed to fill the gap in, right? They ne- And and if you look at old school selection, you'd have a cu- couple of batters, maybe a bowler if you're lucky there, who don't see that much cricket, who are making a bunch of ill-informed decisions. they usually had, they were out of the game. And quite often, I, I remember having a really good chat with, might have been John Inverarity about, I can't remember what it was, but it was particular skill. And they didn't have that skill on the, on the selection committee at the time. And I said, I'm not being rude, but what makes you an expert on that over a fast bowler who, you know, knows exactly what that guy's doing. And you don't really know exactly what that guy's doing because you never had to do it yourself or you've never researched it because your job was batting and spin bowling. Um, and he was like, no, you're probably right. The whole system doesn't really make sense. And that's a very John Invererity <laughs> thing. He was chairman of selectors, I think, at the time. It's a very John Inverary thing to say, though, of this, like, oh, now you've said that the system doesn't work. And the selection system has never worked. What scouts in Moneyball, the reason that they were flawed, um, even, if, even though they had success in, in the particular cases you're talking about, the reason that scouts were flawed is because it was the only system. Right. It's the ability to marry these things up. And what cricket did was we kind of skip scouts, which is a very smart thing to do. We're going to get experts who understand this thing. We're going to send them on the road to go and have a look at everyone. And then they're going to come back with some some information on all these different players. And we're going to decide on the player that fits our plans. That's how sport should be. And then all it needed to do is have that marrying with actual analytics of, well, wait a minute, you've said that. But what how what you've seen this about him, but we now need to get him in a machine and see what his numbers uh, do to be able to do that. But in cricket, we kind of just skipped scouts altogether. And that is probably one of the the bigger issues that we have. And, you know, but this is not just an international thing. I know guys who try and get first class setups. I've got a friend who he's so frustrated. He'll play against a guy who's really good. And he knows his cricket and played first class cricket himself. And he'll send their phone number to someone. And no, the first-class teams don't even have time to call the guy up and tell him to come in for for, for a trial. There's no proper scouting within sort of professional cricket below the, the proper level. And then we have entire selection committees where no one actually watches enough first-class cricket to ever make any proper decisions anyway.
1: Yeah, you've nailed basically all of the the, <laughs> the things that I'd noted down as um, well, possible contributors to... to why we Why we as a collective, I mean, not you and I, but why people are not making... <laughs> why Jared and Jack <laughs>
0: have failed <laughs> cricket?
1: Well, we're, we're, they're making mistakes and, and picking players that, that uh, go into test teams that don't uh, produce. Um, now, sometimes that will just happen, you know, the whole uh, spectrum of human performance and uh, thought processes and and... Um, you know like the Ed Cowan example just getting unlucky a few times sometimes that will sometimes you will have failures but I, we do seem to have a lot and we seem to have quite a lot in England and I think you know coupling a a less than ideal I think first class system Um, if you're looking at it from the perspective of is it producing test quality players um, is it a is it a, a an arena in which people can improve their skills to become test match players I don't think it Really is that it's it's something else, and it, it might be good at that. It might be good at um, you know providing entertainment for retirees, um, but it's not it's 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 not the the Sheffield Shield, um, if you like. Then you layer on top of that a poor uh, selection process that that um, <laughs> is is either made up of people who are basically just speculating. Let's just let's be honest here. The 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 1990s style yeah. um, England selection panel was just like let's guess um, we're not. We're not going to use any data. Uh, we're not really going to do any scouting. Um, we're going to pick 11 names and have a gin and tonic. Um, then we've <laughs> we sort of gone to this slightly more data, the data-driven data way of looking at things, but yeah, neglected the actually can we look at this player and see if they're any good. Or you talk about Sam Robson quite regularly on on, on different podcasts as, as a player who you could see would not be successful in test cricket because he had a a flaw. Now, you would hope that a good scouting system would have picked that up before you used 10% of your resources in the team on Sam Robson.
0: Do you know what? That's It's really interesting you point that out because even before that, what you would hope is if they had thought he was, because he had a lot of other test skills, right? Incredible mm-hmm. patience. He was a very, very straight bat. You know, he had things that sort of transferred to test cricket. He just didn't have the one thing you need in test cricket, which is that the ability to handle the ball just outside of stump, right? Which hilariously now doesn't matter as much because everyone bowls at the stumps. So maybe he'd be, he'd be good now. <laughs> But the, the other question is, is we're talking about so money. The, the reason that Moneyball is flawed for me is not that they overcame the not that they didn't talk about the pitches, because I already figured that there would be good players on a team. And really what they were trying to do is they were showing how when you lose three incredible players, how you build up that without with using analytics. The problem for me with Moneyball is it's assuming that players don't learn. And that players can't develop. And players are incredible at evolving during their career to stay relevant. Because if they don't, they disappear. That's why you don't have many guys who, like, at the age of 26, just disappear from test cricket and never seen again. Because, or first class cricket, um, having made a lot of runs before that. Even if the game has changed, they evolve slowly with the game. So realistically, with with Sam Robson, what should have been is I shouldn't have been the only person who's picked that up. And I'm sure there are England analysts who did that. They should have gone back and worked with him to be like, okay, if we can fix this, you could probably average 40 um, opening the batting for us for the next 10 years. And that's more than enough in England. And we'll take that. Um, And if we lose patience with you in in the future, we apologize in advance. I wonder if those conversations are also something that is not happening. So that again, analytics and scouting is really handy to go back to the player and go, this is what we've noticed. This is why we think you will work in test cricket. And this is why we think you won't work in test cricket. Is this something that you would like to work on with us? I, again i don't i feel like that is sometimes missed within international cricket
1: i think sometimes I think it's it's missed very consistently again i, mean, I you know I, I am looking at this from an england centric point of view i know more about the england team i see more of their their matches um i have a better knowledge um although it's not a great knowledge i i admit of of the first class system in england than really i really selling your podcast here yeah up. yeah <laughs> but let's take a, a current example Dom Sibley. so he's made it into the international team off the back of three or four very good seasons um, now there are there are things that Dom simply does that clearly are test quality he mm. has immense powers of concentration you know he's got excellent judgment um, and then there are things that he does that you know you look at and you're, you're surprised that he plays professional cricket at all um, to be honest now, surely, at some point, if 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 Dom Sibley was on track to play Test cricket, and 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 the the data at the first class level would suggest that he was, yeah. somebody should have gone to see Dom Sibley and maybe suggest he learnt like one shot for the offside. Doesn't need loads, just, like just the one, another. Dom. <laughs> yeah.
0: Other other than the outside edge, which we're very happy that you've managed to you know beat slips occasionally with, if you could just in front of point find find a shot. But yeah, so we, the, there's failure might be too
1: strong a word because is it really the... Maybe it is, maybe it is. Is it really the responsibility of the England team to go round all of the counties, find all of the potential England players and, and, and micromanage their games in that way? Or should someone like Dob Sibley recognise that he's not
0: hitting the ball through the offside ever and and, and address that himself? Now, this is where yeah, I'm just, just going to interject quietly and then you go on with your point. But Dom Sibley doesn't know what is going to be successful in Test cricket when he's young Dob Sibley, Right. He only knows that when he's been there. So realistically, it is the job of someone to, to say, okay, this is working here, but you're about to go to another level and things are going to change. And this is why we want you to think about it. If he says, oh, I'm good, fair enough. And if you still want to pick him, you pick him and you see how it goes. That, that's all I would say about that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that, and, and, and that's um that that's a fair point. But I think what I would say is that that process needs to be defined one way or the other. Um, it, you know, to, to run... And all of these questions, all of these, these the, the the general points that we're talking about here, they go back to processes. So, um, how you select your team, what processes you have there, how you you scout future prospects and 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 develop those those players, you what processes have you got in place there? Now you can have you can have I suppose you can have it, 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 it to the most extreme extent here. You can have it one of two ways. You can either make it the responsibility of players to do this all themselves and make that clear, or you can you can do uh, well. Take on on, on a more um or be on a more micromanagey footing, where you you have your list of thirty prospects, say, and you explain to them why they're not test level at the moment. Um, what what the 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 expert, the scout, the coach, whoever it is who's responsible for this, why where they've identified they need to improve, and you work with them to improve them. That that you know, if we go back to the the, the very first point. These processes not being in place are why we see drop-offs. Mm. I, I would speculate. Now I don't know this for sure. I will say that. Um, you know, it's this is it's a really, really tricky topic. I and mean, when you invited me on to talk about it, I was like, there's not <laughs> I what I would love to have been able to do is come on and say this is how you 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 should pick your test team. You yeah. just use this data. But there is no magic number. We know that. You know, it's not first class cricket and test cricket they're not the same thing so performance in one does not equal performance in the other it's 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 only as things exist at the moment it's only a mild indicator really Mm. (laughs) but yeah so it's the 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 general point i i I think that, that i i try and get across is is that you need these processes be it in selection or in in talent or in your talent pathways. And I don't think, you know, the, the story I would tell on this is I don't think the processes are there.
0: And I, I think, or if they are there, they could be better. So we're going to finish with Vaughn and Triscothic just uh, to quiet their reply guys um, when this goes up. <laughs> but also because they are the people, I, every, every time I've ever been asked by non-crick info people to write about cricket and data and analytics, they always say, oh yeah, can you just cover the Vaughn Triscothic thing? Like I'm told that every single time. And so I'm going to go with Triscothic and I'll let you come in with Vaughn a little bit more. If you go through Triscothic's numbers and you don't just look at his batting average, it is quite clear that he was an above average batting talent. A lot of his scores, he would score like Somerset would be bowled out for 120 and he'd make 70, but with a strike rate of like 85 right? And you start looking at this and go, well, wait a minute, how come no one else could score runs? And not only was he scoring runs, but he's scoring runs at a high strike rate. And he did it again and again in collapses where no one else could score runs or in low totals where he scored the bulk of the runs. It was quite clear that if you looked beyond just the basic level of his batting average, and this is, we don't have full first class records in the nineties. This is me just going through scorecards one after the other and going something about him. It clearly should have popped to them, even if it didn't for them. Vaughn is slightly different in that I would say Vaughn is a perfect example of a player who's picked almost exactly at his prime even if that was accidental. Um and then he was dropped at the uh, basically um r- right at the point where he was probably regressing a little bit to his mean. He was picked exactly he, pl- he played test cricket exactly in his best batting years would would be the way I would put Vaughn. But but you had a, a bit of a look at him as well. I think what you say about Triscothic probably applies to some extent
1: for Vaughan too. And vice versa, what you were saying about Vaughan there applies to Triscothic. Both of these players, I think, were picked at 25, which is almost perfect. I think if you look, I had a look into this, separate to the article, but I looked at um, batting average for players each year into their career. And something like six, seven years into your career is when you stop improving and start to plateau. Yeah. Um, Vaughan and Shaskothik both started playing um, first-class cricket when they were young, like a lot younger than, than average. Um, they got picked for the test team uh, at that kind of sweet spot age, both in terms of you know how old they are and and, and, and athletic development and so on, yeah. but also having that those five, six years of experience learning the game, um, being a professional cricketer behind them. Um, and then both of them had premature ends to their careers. So they, they didn't have the you know the ian bell couple of years where he averaged 20 mm. um it's it, it, which
0: which the Ricky ponting there. yeah it, it it
1: it 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 just wasn't something that happened for them and then and then finally and we are actually talking about you know only a reasonably marginal Overperformance from these two. Yeah, it's not like they they average eighty in test cricket or forty in first class cricket. I think you know I'm just getting up here. I haven't got the exact number. Vaughan is about six runs, I think, and Truscottic maybe three
0: or four. Yeah, my, my memory is that Vaughan was one of those players who was around the ten percent mark better in test cricket than first class cricket, and Triscothic was actually far more normal when you look at the numbers. I I was shocked because I would have thought he would have been up there as well. Um, and they're not as much an out. And when you look at the overall data, they're not the uh, the outliers. Maybe they're the outliers because England had been so bad, and suddenly you had two players who had a couple of incredible moments um, in cricket. And Tr- Triscott's case, in Vaughan's case, they're also pretty to watch. You know, they 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 were quite dynamic. They came at the same period, but realistically, this has happened before. Um, it just happens to be that the England narrative and the press sort of took over. Of, oh, but well, you can't judge numbers. And it's like, well, you can if you get the right numbers. We might not get the right numbers, but we could maybe get closer to the right numbers. A final thing I'd maybe add on both of those is that they played in
1: in the batting era. For, <laughs> That's for, a very for... good point. I like <laughs>
0: that. Oh, my God. I'm
1: adding that. To my, it wasn't like now in England in 2005. Yep. you could score four. You could score 400 in the first innings, and England did regularly. They had they had a good team. When did they both come in? Was it 99 they came into the team? 99 2000 So 99 to is.
0: 2008 is probably almost the peak era, especially if you're you know if you're a left hander. Um, in Tr- Triscottix's case, that's a very very good time to come in. They also. Both of them had phased out by the time DRS had changed the way that you had to bat, which obviously affected a lot of other people. Um, Yeah, you know, very, very good points. And we're not saying they're not talented. We're also not saying that the system didn't let them down because if they were that good, there's almost something wrong with the county system that they almost got overlooked.
1: Yeah, for sure. But but that's that's why I think they they overperformed slightly. I mean, the other England players that that did, Collingwood was around in the same era, um, was better in test cricket than first-class cricket. Probably had a similar career, career trajectory. I, I mean, I, I haven't got the specifics of when he first plays test, test cricket in front of me, but I reckon it would have been 26, 27. Um, came in for that 2005, the final Ashes test, didn't mm. he? Then he had a run in the team. Um, and similarly, didn't play until he was... Spectacularly old, went back and was, was, was playing for Durham. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that pattern. Prior, another one came into the team when he was 25, 26, um, performed above his first class record, then career was cut maybe a little bit short. Um, with injury so there's there's there are reasons why some people might 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 overperform their average maybe you know just just from this discussion one of the things we should talk about is picking players at 25 or 26 when you you have a very good idea of how how, how good they may or may not be and um they've had time to work on, on, yeah. on weaknesses
0: at a lower level instead of picking them at 20 and sort of hoping that you can you can take them on a world tour i think it's a really interesting thing because if you know that someone is an above average batting talent from your scouts and your selectors and your coaches, uh, or even if you're not using scouts, but just selectors and coaches, they know that's probably the best way to learn test batting is to bat in it. But it also means that you could have a Matt Renshaw type situation or a has, has, Um, In fact, you you uh, you wrote about um, Hasib Hamid, didn't you? You can have those sorts of situations where they're kind of thrown in, um, and then they sort of get discarded at a certain point. His was obviously you know slightly more, uh, less luck, but the same thing might happen with Zach Crawley, right? in some ways the best way to learn test cricket is to play it if you're go- if you're going to be a 10 year player like joe root or Steve smith or you know those sorts of things but if you're not quite at that level and and this is the hard one to decide then picking them at 25 26 27 the Mike hussey years if you will is probably yeah. a better sort of um uh, you know a better system but which players do you throw in to develop and which players do you wait um, because you can you know it's hard it is hard,
1: and it. But it's also hard to get better at batting if you're out all the time. Um, and
0: that I found that yes,
1: <laughs> that's effectively what's happening. People aren't developing game plans around seeing off the new ball and and, and building a long innings or. Um, knowing which bowler they want to target because these some of these players in the England team they're effectively going from crisis to crisis then they're, they're never established in the side um they they have glaring weaknesses that all the bowlers know about so they they have they have no time to work on anything except those um and uh it, they're they, they lose they lose a lot it's um i don't know it it, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a very clever thing to do to me when when you know, there are trends that suggest playing a bit later in your career is better.
0: I'm going to finish with one final thing. I think if we've proven anything today, it is that it is and remains very hard to tell the future. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so messy, but uh, they're my thoughts. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber, Nick McCorrison makes everything sound better for your ears and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.